In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue from chapter 13, verse 15. And we saw last time that the Philistines were getting closer to take over Israel. And we saw how weak Israel had been in the, prison, in the midst of the Philistines. We saw last time also that Jonathan, the son of David, was the one who started the war. He came and he attacked the Philistines and they came back to attack them. And we said that we did not want to have peace with the enemy. And because of his courage to stand against sin, against the enemy, now there is a war. Now there is a final decision that we have to make. We said the war doesn't seem fair because Israel has only 3,000 people where the Palestinians have humongous army. We saw last time that there were two groups, Saul and, his, and the 600 people that were left from him, and then Jonathan and one of his arm bearers who were brave enough to break into the lines of the Philistines and kill 20 people. And we said last time that Saul committed his first clear disobedience of the word of God, where he offered the sacrifice that only the priest can offer, and he did not consult the word of God. Now, verse 15, there was a trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people, and the grissim and the riders also trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it was very great trembling. So what happens is when Jonathan, Jonathan and his arm bearer killed the 20 people, the army of the Philistines were so scared. Obviously, this is, this is here, you can see, clearly this is the work of God. All what God is waiting for, offer the five loaves and two fish. Offer the little, say the truth. Don't be afraid, witness to me. And I will take care of the rest. And it's very interesting to me as I've been reading more in the Old Testament that typically the way that God interferes, He brings fear into the enemy. He brings fear into the enemy. The devil tries to make us afraid. God makes him afraid. Now the watchmen of Saul in Gaba of Benjamin looked and there was the, the multitude melting away and they went here and there. Then Saul said to the people who are with him, now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And then they had called the roll. Surprisingly, Jonathan and his arm bearer were not there. So Obviously, I was telling you the two armies can see each other. The two block of armies can see each other. So all of a sudden, people saw that the Palestinians' army are melting away. They're running away. They're scared, melting. So they went to Saul and told him, look, the, the army is melting away. They're running away. He told them, who from us attacked? So they started counting everybody. Almost 600 people. It's not going to take a long time. Counted 600 people. He said, Jonathan and his arm bearer are not there. They are the ones who cause the melting. Look back here where Saul continues to violate the word of God. And Saul said to Ahijah, Ahijah is the priest, bring the ark of God here. Remember in the story of Samuel, when people tried to use the ark of the Lord in the, in the battle without the permission of God, what happened? All of them died. Israel and Palestine. Okay, for at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. 
Let's explain this. Now, Saul told him to bring the ark. They have not probably brought the ark yet, but the priest is wearing what? The ephod. So the, 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 the priest is praying to God, consulting him. Should we, should we fight or not fight? Because the ark is never used to know whether we should go to war or not. It was the aphid, the, priest, the, the, the one that priests wear. So Saul, when he saw the army is moving, Saul is very quick to react, very compulsive. Instead of waiting and praying and hearing the voice of God, he told the priest, move your hand. The, pre the soul did not give the priest enough time to pray. I'm going to go. Saul forgot that he is not a normal king. He is a king over the people of God. And the real king is God. So he kept dishonoring, dishonoring all the holy things that God has given him. Like when people come to church multiple times and they start disrespecting the church. Or start disrespecting the relics of the saints. Or start disrespecting the communion. Or uh, why do I have to be fasting this amount of hours? Why do I have to? Just take it easy. Yes, it's not about the rules. Yes, that's true. But every time I don't follow what God, what the church has put in my life, I am subjecting myself, I am subjecting myself to be in the disobedience of God. Then Saul and all the people were him assembled and they went to the battle and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor and the battle was great confusion. When Saul went, took the 600 to fight, he saw that the Philistines are fighting each other and they were looking at them and laughing. What's, what are they doing? They're just killing each other. This is by the way, similar, similar thing to what happened in Gideon. In, in the book of Judges 7.22. Great trembling, great confusion. The people did not do anything. The people of Israel did nothing. All what God was waiting for, a courageous heart to do something very small. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So what happened is, when some Israelites saw the army of the Philistines coming, and it looks very scary, some ran away, but apparently some went to the Philistines and told them, please take us as slaves, but don't kill us. So when they saw that the Israelites are, are, are winning, they actually left and came back. You see, the courage of Jonathan, Jonathan caused people who were even afraid who even submitted themselves to slavery to come back to God. It's like the story of St. Moses the Black. Because of his life and his repentance, many people came back to God. Because of Jonathan's courage, many people were saved from slavery. So we should not underestimate the little that God requests from us. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they had heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. Obviously, 
the, the mountain of Ephraim is, is, is owned and the areas are, uh, that belongs to the tribe of Benjamin. And who's from the tribe of Benjamin? Saul. So it shows even Saul's own people were afraid. Yani the people of the king were worried. They didn't even trust him. Everybody started coming out. Everybody started fighting. So the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle shifted to Beth Evan. So basically the, the battle was in, in Mishmash and now Israel have gained ground and pushed the Philistines further. God has, has emphasized in the scripture today that the, the one who have done all the work is God. He used Jonathan, faith and simplicity to highlight him as a child of God. But what happened today, God is telling them, it is because of my hands. It is because of, a, of my hand. So people might spend a bit of time talking about Jonathan and his courage, but they also might forget the miracle that, the God, that our Lord has done. Now Saul, obviously, because he makes a lot of quick decisions, he made a very, very rush and foolish decision. We'll see what he did. And the men of Israel were distressed that day. They, they won a war. They're happy, but they were distressed. Why were they distressed? For Saul has placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemy, so none of the people tasted food. See how smart this guy is. He said, you know what? He only has 600 people going to meet hundreds of thousands of people. He told them, you're not going to eat until we destroy the enemy. The most foolish decision you make. Saul imposes a fast on people. Why? By the way, this, is, this, this was common in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the religion time where people will say, okay, we will fast until we take an action. You know, it's usually a good action. But this shows us that some people know how to use religious vocabulary for the wrong reason. And some people were raised in the church so they know exactly what to say. This guy, what are you doing? People are fighting. People are hungry. How are you going to send an army to fight fasting? Does that, make, does that make any sense to anybody? So people finished the, the war. They're, they're running after their enemies. The, God made the war so simple for them. They don't even have energy to run after an army that's fighting each other. Now all the people of the land came to the forest and there was honey on the ground. Taban, God wants to teach Saul a lesson. It's not going to pass by. So people coming back from the war and they see honey. It's almost honey, you can think of it, ice cream. You know, after a very long day of fighting. And when the people came and the, when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping. But no one put his hand to his mouth for the people feared the oath. And God put the honey away, dripping. You walk around, mm, I want to eat. I am tired. I just came from war. God forgive you, soul. That's basically what they're saying. This is, this is the, the, the reason why God wants to teach us all of this. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Jonathan was fighting with his arm bearer. 
Therefore he stretched out the end of the rod and uh, that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his contents brightened. Obviously, Jonathan just finished the war. He walked around, saw the honey dripping. He put a small rod, took a little bit and ate it. And because obviously it's a very known condition when you work, exercise a lot, your blood sugar drops. So you need something to get you going. So once he took the sugar, his eyes opened. The man is now energetic. Obviously, everybody's looking at him and be like, man, I wish I could eat like this guy, right? But also, there's another allegorical meaning that's beautiful. The honey usually represents the word of God. And when I take the word of God, my eyes open. I'm able to see. I'm able eh, to see. Jonathan is acting in simplicity and acting somebody who is full of courage and God have used him to show people what to show his dad how how bad his decision was then one of the people said your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying cursed is the man who eats food this day and the people were faint people are gonna call us they're tired people told them be careful your father ordered us not to eat of the sunny but they are fearful of soul. That shows you how bad of a king he started to become. He makes an illogical oath and nobody can correct him. The only person that could talk to him is Samuel. He probably is scared of Samuel. But Jonathan said, look at Jonathan, said, my father has troubled the land. My dad eh, caused the problem to all of us. Look now how my contents has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. He's telling him, look, look at me, how, how look I good after I ate the honey. Saul was one of those people who was stubborn in a religious way. Following strict, applying some random strict rituals. But Jonathan was somebody who was practicing the fear of God. Jonathan was able to sacrifice his life willingly for the people of Israel and Saul did not even have the patience to wait a few minutes for Samuel, to wait a few minutes to hear what the priest has to say. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For now, would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? He says if people would have eaten, they would have destroyed the Philistines. That energy. They went there a little bit, they fainted, they came back. We can't continue. How would they have fought if God did not interfere? Now they had now they had driven back the the Philistines that day from Mishmash for from uh, uh, Mishmash to Ajilon. So the people were very very faint, very very faint. The Bible says their condition keeps getting weaker. That's what happens when people take quick decisions, extreme decisions. Decision that doesn't, that I'm not able to change. Decision that doesn't require some thoughts. And the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep and ox and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. So when the time of the oath has finished, when people came back, they were very hungry. So they took whatever they had, kill it and eat it. Obviously, when they eat the spoil, 
the Old Testament require them that they have to eat it without blood. You will see this in Leviticus. Leviticus 17, 10, 14, and, and in Genesis 9, 4, and, and, 7, and chapter 7, and, and so on. They were not supposed to eat it with blood. So because of Saul's rush decision, now people start making mistakes and disobeying God. When I become unreasonable in walking with people and guiding them and leading them, people start making mistakes because you're asking them to do something beyond their abilities. Beyond their abilities. Then they told Saul saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. So he said, you have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. This is, by the way, Saul is an example of a, of a person who is self-righteous. What is a self-righteous self person? Whenever anybody does anything wrong, man, this guy goes down on them like a hammer. Whenever he does something wrong, you will see him coming up with the best excuses for himself. People are sinning. No, 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 no. No, we have to solve this problem. Let's get a stone. They have to get the stone so they can slaughter the animal, animals on it, drain all the blood, and people can eat it. You have to uh, drain it proper. Then Saul said, Disperse yourself among the people and say to them, Bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep. Slaughter them here and eat. Do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought an ox with him that night and slaughtered it. You see, Saul had no issue asking for the ark, even though he shouldn't do it. He had no issue telling the priest, forget about, forget about asking opinion from God, let's rush to war. He had no issue offering a sacrifice instead of waiting for Samuel. And when Samuel kept pressing him, no, no, no apology, no confession. When he saw the people sinning, he started saying, no, 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 you're wrong. What you're doing is not right. Let's get a stone. Let's fix this. This is somebody who tries to cover their own mistakes with doing some simple ritual stuff. It means nothing. It means nothing. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. And I don't know if the Bible said this as a, as a good thing or he said it as a, a way of saying this was embarrassing. That Saul has won a victory before. God used him to win a victory before. He became a king. And he has not built an altar to God. Remember Abraham in his life? Every place he goes, he makes an altar. Altar is not expensive. It's a stone with a little bit of oil and you pray. The time when he built an altar was not for him to worship. It was for him to appear self-righteous in front of people. So, this became a problem. Now, Saul, see God did all the work, but Saul keeps ruining the work of God. Now Saul said, he comes up with a new idea. Let us go down after the Philistines by night and blunder them until the morning light and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seemed, to, seemed good to you. Then the priest said, let us draw near to God here. So basically Saul said, you know what? Let's go after the Philistines and kill them all night. The people obviously told him, whatever you want, you know, we'll follow. 
So the priest said, let us draw near to God here. Let us ask what God wants. Finally, the priest had the courage to tell him, slow down, Kedah. Let's see what God wants. So Saul asked the counsel of God. Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into, into the hands of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. You guys remember we said, how does God answer? The priest wears the ephods and there are two stones. Usually one of them will light. Says yes or no. This time, none lighted. So it means God did not answer. And when God does not answer, it usually means there's something that the people did. There's something wrong that the people did. So what happened? What was the wrong that the people did? That Saul made an oath and the oath was not kept. God wants to show Saul this is the consequence of your religious behavior. You just want to pick on some ritual and go crazy about it? See what's going to happen to you because of your mentality. It's not a fear, a, a, a person who loves and obeys God, but a person who wants to show self-righteousness. And Saul said, come over here and all you chiefs of people and know and see what is the sin, what, what is the sin was today. What happened? Who committed the sin? For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But not a man among all the people answered him. Basically told him who committed the sin. Who did something wrong? If it's my son Jonathan, I'm going to kill him. I, look, a man who is rushed. He wants to appear self-righteous and just go, goes off. And the people kept silent. Why did the people keep silent? Because they loved Jonathan. Then he said to all Israel, you on one side and my son and Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. Told them, we're going to basically cast lots. You stand here and me and Jonathan will stand here. The people believed the lots was the voice of God back then. And also in the New Testament, it was used to pick the replacement of the apostle. The replacement of Judah and the disciple. Then Saul said to the Lord, therefore... Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken by the people, but the people skipped. So basically they casted the lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken. It means one of them disobeyed the, lot, the God. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. Taban, Saul hasn't done anything wrong. It's always Jonathan. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand, so now I must die. Yani, Jonathan is telling him, this is ridiculous. All what I did was, I ate a little bit of honey, and I broke your oath, and now I must die. He's telling him, the rule, the system you put, is gonna cost you your son. And some people take crazy decision. It might cost them a big, it might cost them big in their life. God wanted to reveal that disobedience to commandment is the problem. So everyone can learn and see. So Saul answered, God do so and so and more also. If you shall surely die, Jonathan. Imagine this is just to me unbelievable. Now, 
he, he, he judged his son to death. And instead of him saying, oh, what, did I, what have I done? I'm going to put my son to death. This is terrible. I'm really sorry. He looks at his son and yells at him. Self-righteousness at its best. He did not regret any of his action. But the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die? Look at the people. Who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground. For he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan and did not die. Who spoke? Who defended Jonathan? Not his father. Not the person who should defend him. But the people themselves. They told him, Jonathan is the one God used to get us a victory. And you see, even though Jonathan broke the oath unknowingly, obviously, but there's a chance for him to repent. I mean, when people told him, forgive him, it means they have to offer some sacrifice and some repentance and... And, and he will be, you know, things will work out. Saul did none of this in the last chapter. When Samuel told him, you have sinned. He showed no remorse, knowing that his son will die. Then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Look, I want to tell you just something quickly about this chapter before we finish it. Saul disobeyed God, but yet the people of Israel had a victory. And yet God worked with them. And that also important for me, because it means it doesn't mean that things are going well in my life. It doesn't mean that I am following the commandments of God. There's an overall master plan that God puts together. And yes, Saul disobeyed God, but God still had other plans for Israel, had other plans for the Philistines. And still God will wanted to teach Saul and the people of Israel a lesson. And he still wants to work with their weakness. Now we're going to start chapter 15. In chapter 15, in it, this is the last chance for Saul to repent after another big event and this is a time where God will actually reject him completely as a king Samuel said to Saul so by the way Samuel was so silent last chapter we didn't hear any of his voice he was just so quiet the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people over Israel now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord basically Samuel came to Saul told him look God made you a king now God wants something from you and we will see throughout this time, Samuel did not try to interfere politically. And Saul did not try to seek advice from Samuel. If, if Saul was a truly a good disciple, somebody who loves God, he would have taken every opportunity to learn from Samuel. But he didn't. He enjoyed the kingdom, he enjoyed the money, he enjoyed the car, he enjoyed the house. And forgot about his beginning. Samuel came told him. Thus says the Lord of hosts. I will punish Amalek. For what he did to Israel. 
how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Amalek is a nation that were very, very strong. They were the ones that this nation was the original nation in the promised land. And God promised Joshua to, to come and take over the promised land. And the Amaleks were people who fought with Israel and prevented them from, tried to, to prevent them from entering the, the promised land. This Exodus, this story is mentioned in Exodus 17. So God is telling him, look, I want you to go and fight the Amalek because I have not forgotten what they have done to Israel. How many years? hundred of years ago. 400 years ago. God still remembers what they have done. Be careful because in the scripture, there is no command that tells people go for general killing. It is only specific when God wants to use a certain group of people to declare vengeance. And we'll see how God does it. We'll see how God does it. The question becomes, why did God wait so long? This was four or five hundred years ago. Why God is still doing it now? Well, number one, this is a good message for Saul. Remember last chapter, God told him, your kingdom will not last. So God is just trying to remind him, look, I don't forget. I don't forget. And it's also comfort to people who are being treated injustly. That God will claim justice one day. God will claim justice until then. The people of Amalek also were not good people. God was patient on them for many generations. People used to worship idols and used to offer their children as a sacrifice to the devil. God have waited, waited, waited for them until there is no hope of their repentance. But God said, let us, eh, let us now show the people of Israel how if you live from God for a very long time, this is where you're going to be and God is not going to forget so they were required to take vengeance. But God told him, Now go and attack the Malik and utterly destroy all they have. And do not spare them. But kill both men and woman, infant and nurse and child, child, ox, sheep, camel and donkey. God told him, Do not take anything for you. You're going today to do my own work. You're going to destroy all the people, all the animals, all the sheep, all the ox. Utterly destroy it. Some people might say, that, what about the infant and the children? Why does God allow them to be? Maybe actually the children and the, and the infant, this is the best solution for them. Because if their parents take them to offer them to the devil as a sacrifice, maybe if this whole nation is wiped out completely, those children might have a place in heaven. But the parents continue to feed their children evil after evil. One of the most important ideas also, people said, why would God wipe out a whole nation? Why would God wipe out a whole nation? One of the most important things that God wants to teach Israel, it is very important for Israel to stay clean. Do not mix with other nations. 
when you mix with other nations, you learn their behavior. Remember why did the people of Israel ask for a king? Because they saw the Amorites have a king. The same king that wanted to block out their eyes, they learned from him. They went to the worst king to learn from. Also, sometimes we forget that God is a judge. And there is time for judgment. When the same people keep killing and, and slaving people and killing children, God at some point has said, enough. Enough. Be careful because the Old Testament did not understand the concept of the cross. So the only way they can see the hands of God is working through a poor country, poor nation like Israel. And at the same time, it becomes a learning lesson for Israel itself. And by the way, the history of Israel is all about this. Where they, when they are far away from God, God allows them to suffer, to go to exiles, to be destroyed, and so on. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Talmim, 200,000 footed soldiers than 10,000 men of Judah. Now, look, last chapter, how many he had? 3,000. Now, how much he has? 200,000 footed soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. It means that over this period between the last war and today, his army has grown. Last chapter, we said God works with little and works with much. Today, God is going to work with much. God can work with no, with very little you have. He can work with a lot you have. Usually the Bible likes to separate between Israel, the main army, and Judah. Because later on we'll see that they become two different nations. Two different countries. So now he's saying that they are one country. One nation. But he's saying that each of them were under the rule of Saul. And each of them brought that many people. And Saul came to the city of Amalek. And lay wait in the valley. So Amalek actually was more a weakened area as in the desert. And they did not have walls. So this is more like a village. So, But you have a very now the opposite. The Israelites are such a huge army. And Amalek are a very weak army. And then they came. And Saul said to the Kenites. Go depart. Get down from among the Amaleks. Lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amaleks. Who are the Kenites? The Kenites are actually, if you open Judges 4.11 and Deuteronomy 25.18, the Kenites, this is where Moses' father-in-law from. And Moses' father-in-law father had a good relationship with Israel. And they were a good nation. They helped Israel. So it looked like Samuel probably told him, do not kill those people. So he sent them a message, told them, leave, because we are going to destroy. To destroy all Amalek. And by the way, this also gives us a glimpse of understanding. Amalek were evil people, but they still had some good people in their midst. But yet they did not learn from them. And probably people from Amalek who were affected by the life of the Kenites would leave with them. Just like some people from Egypt were affected by the people of Israel left with them. Okay? So, here Saul said, you know, we'll separate. And Saul attacked the Amaleks from the Havla all the way to uh, Shur, which is east of Egypt. He basically 
destroyed them and he allowed, he allowed nobody to run. Now we'll see that scripture doesn't really emphasize the war too much. The problem is what happened after the war. He also, Saul, took Agag, the king of the Amaleks, alive and utterly destroyed all the people at the age of the sword. First mistake, Samuel told him, kill everybody, period. Saul took the king of Amalek with him. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the ox, the flattling, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy him. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. We'll stop here for a second. Now, Saul does what a lot of us do sometimes. Where we follow the commandments, but eh, half-heartedly. God told him, destroy everybody. He said, okay, I'll kill people. That's no problem. What about the king? I'll keep the king. What about the good lamb and the good cows and all the stuff? Let me keep the stuff. The purpose of this war was not to gain. This war was the justice of God on this nation. Saul interpreted the commandments according to his own thoughts. And you sometimes look at him and be like, you're foolish. It's either you're with God, or you kill everything, or you keep all the animals. Why would you destroy some? Like, you, you're, you're not disobeying, you're not obeying God, and you're, you're just obeying, you're, just, you're in disobedience. What are you doing? This is what happens when we try to compromise with the commandments of God. I find myself not having the worldly gain, neither are living in the obedience of God. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, the expression the word of the Lord came was repeated 83 times in the Old Testament, mainly in the prophetic books. Look what God said, I greatly regret, this is God speaking, that I have set up Saul as a king, for he has turned back from following me, and he has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. And almost God coming and venting to Samuel. Telling you know what Samuel. I, I cannot believe I made Saul a king. What, what is decision? What is decision? And obviously by the way. When the scripture says God regretted, just to be clear, in verse 29 in the same chapter, it says God of Israel does not lie or relents. But it means God is conveying the message in our language. He's trying to explain how in our own understanding would that make us feel. That's basically what he does. He's telling Samuel, it is so sad that I made this guy a king. Imagine the God saying, I have regretted making this person a father or a mother or a servant or a brother. And Samuel, what is he doing? Crying to God all night. He's crying to God for who? For the sake of Saul. Saul and Samuel, yani, Saul has been very good to Samuel. Uh, Samuel has been very good to Saul. 
the soul doesn't deserve. And Samuel prays and please God, forgive him, give him a chance. I will go talk to him. And where is Saul? Saul is in La La Land. Let's see what Saul did. And then we'll take a couple of verses and then we'll conclude. So when Samuel rose early in the morning, so Samuel is staying all night long praying for Saul. He's a very old man. He woke up very early. There's a problem. Saul is going to get rejected. So it was, it was told to Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a, a, a monument for himself and he has gone on a round, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Samuel woke up in the morning. He went to the place where he's expecting to find Saul. Where is Saul? Saul is not here. He went to build a very nice fancy building to celebrate his victory. Obviously, Carmel, not in the mountain of the north. It's a small town in Judah. Did he build an altar today after the Amalek victory? No. He built an altar last time just because he wanted the people to worship the right way. Just to see them as like, oh, I'm the guy who is correcting you. But Samuel is still going after Saul. After, regardless of his old age, he's going from one place to another to find him. I, we're not talking about quick transportation. He has to walk. Yes, it's, it's a very tiny thing. Then Samuel went to Saul. And Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. You know, like when you, you committed a sin, and you did something wrong, and once you see your, your dad or your mom, I have done everything you asked me. This is what he told me. He's acting in denial. Saul is deceiving himself. Samuel knows everything. But you already experienced him. You already know that this guy knows everything. But Saul wanted to convince himself that he's right. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the loaning of the ox which I hear? Samuel told him, I hear some animals. Where did they come from? By the way, Samuel is giving him a chance to repent. Waiting for him to confess. Confess. Say what you did wrong so God can forgive you. Let's see what Saul said and then we'll conclude. Then Saul said, they have, they the people, have brought them from the Amaleks. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the ox to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Wow. What's Saul's response? The people, not me. They brought the best. The best animals, the best, the best everything. Okay. And why did they do it? To sacrifice to God. Wow. What a liar. He lies. This guy lies. This is, by the way, a clear case of self-righteousness when people start believing themselves they live in denial he does the wrong and he no longer believes he does wrong and then he tells him to sacrifice a to your God not my God what, what happened isn't this the God who set you as a king isn't this the God that made you a king you forgot him you rejected him he's lying because he did not repent, then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet. Wow. Be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. 
And he said to him, speak on. You know, as if he's so, you know, doesn't care. Samuel is waiting for Saul to repent. He's praying for him all night. He came to him, almost I feel like the vision when Paul told him, with tears, I pray for you. He seems indifferent. Okay, tell me what I did wrong again. You always come and tell me the bad news. Okay, what I did wrong. I took the army, we killed the people, we kept just one guy and few animals. What's the big deal? So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Samuel told him, remember when you began and you were nobody? And God came and told you, I'm going to make you a king. Why do you not listen to God? And why do you blame the people? You are the king over the people. You know, there are certain things in our life where we can find excuses for ourselves. But deep, 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 deep inside, I know that they are not true. They're not honest. And that's what happened with Saul. He came up with different excuses that Samuel gave him many chances to say, I'm sorry, to say, I repent, nothing. And because he refused to repent, he refused to, he refused to confess his sins. Now we will see next time how God will judge him and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.